Hello and welcome to this episode of Haunted Histories with yours truly, Penny Griffiths Morgan. It's been a bit of a, a busy month, but I have got one cracking, cracking guest on for you. I've been trying to get hold of this chap for a while to speak to him, but he is so busy with his job. Um, I can't get hold, I couldn't get hold of him, but we've narrowed we've 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 I've pinned him down and he's on the other end of the line. It's Mr. Jamie Kostafine. Is that pronounced right, Jamie? Kostafine. Close enough. Yeah. Kostafine. Kostafine. Yeah, it's just, oh, I've had loads and loads of different variations of it over the years. Yeah, that's a tough one. So say it again. Which bit's silent? Kostafine. It's uh, well, the PH is an F, so Kostafine. 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 Finn. Yeah, as in, yeah. Kostafine. That's All the pronunciation, right. but it's, yeah, it's spelled with the PH, as in Stephen, I suppose, when you think about yeah. Certainly spelling a Stevens with a PH, yeah. It's where, it's where you put the emphasis on the name. But yes, we've yeah, got it's... Jamie Kostorfin from the City of the Dead Tours. And as you can tell, he's American. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a fine, proud Scotsman. And we're going to be talking all things Edinburgh and City of the Dead Tours. Now, I do have an omission to make. We have already been talking for about half an hour, putting the world to rights. So this converse, and we actually are in agreement on a few things that are quite contentious. So if you are of a nervous disposition, grab your comfort blanket and strap on in for the ride because this may get, hmm, yeah, that's all I'm going to say. I've, I've never been blocked before on Facebook, but you never know. There might be a first time. So how long have you been working for City of the Dead Tours then, Jay? And how did you get into it in the first place? Okay. Um, yeah. Right. So, I have been with City of the Dead Tours now for fifteen years. Right. Um. I only took over running the company uh, four years ago. Mm -hmm. So I now run the company for for the owner, uh, the the author Jan Andrew Henderson, who founded the company City of the Dead Tours back in nineteen ninety nine. Uh, so I had read the book that Jan had written in. Basically, he released it in 2001 called The Ghost That Haunted Itself. Mm -hmm. Probably right into my, you know, hauntings and poltergeist things. And I couldn't believe that in Edinburgh that I'd never heard of this thing. Although I'm not from Edinburgh, I'm from St Andrews, the home of golf. So I was still living mm -hmm. in St Andrews at that thing. Okay. So I had organised to come through to Bray Fires, have a look at Bray Fires, you know, I had to ask directions. You know, being be, be a fifer coming over that big bridge into the big city, it was a... Uh, Kind of weird, you know, all these cars instead of horses and things. <laughs> and they had electricity as well. And you know, water and things. Wow, <laughs> lights. It was like it was like the Vegas of Scotland, you know. So I ran across it and I had a huge interest in it. Now, what's quite amazing is I never thought for a second back in two thousand and one when I read that book that one day I would be working as a tour guide about the company I was reading about. Mm. And he even dreamt in a million years that I'd actually been running the company that I was reading about in mm. this book. So that's that is pretty surreal. Um, as it turns out, there was also a connection with the, through the company how my wife and I uh, finally got back in contact after really? not having contact. Yeah, we were at school together. We met when we were twelve, and we lost contact at sixteen after we had a, a short fling, mm -hmm. and we lost contact for many many years. And um, in a strange roundabout way the company she was actually working for the company at the time and she was my boss's ex-business partner long story so the company actually brought us together as well in a weird Aww. way so something drawn me to it um but i never wanted to be a tour guy because i hate people um <laughs> I, I do I, I, I absolutely hate people um i was should, should i go partner. now should i go now <laughs> You're fine. You're on a telephone. It's absolutely different. Oh, okay. Um, you know, um, although I'd worked in the customers before and stuff, uh, after being a drummer, you know, and the my worst fear would be talking to people with, you know, when I'm playing the drums, I would be very extrovert because there's a wall of drums, metal and stuff yeah, and a stage, and the people, whether there's three people or three thousand people, it doesn't matter because you can't see them because the stage lights. So that's all very, but to actually, but to actually stand there in front of people. With no barrier, that terrified me. So I never wanted to be a tour guide. But as it happened, with Charlotte with the company, and I had to stop playing drums with shoulder injury. So I was moping about the house. I started. I, I needed Charlotte knew if she got me to 
uh, into research and stuff to keep my brain going. Um, so that's when she got me to start researching. Uh, the the sorry, the company had just taken over what we have now, our section of vaults, underground vaults of Southbridge. She knew if she got me in there that I would find this amazing because mm. my kind of thing. And she just knew that I would just put my mind to it and just, mm. you know, which she was right. Absolutely. As soon as I walked into the place, I was like, wow, this mm. is amazing. I need to find out more. I need yeah. to find out. And that was it. I was archiving. I was looking through books, like loads of research materials, going through the libraries, going through the archive section, going through Canmore, annoying all the staff, looking for tiny bits of maps, buying whole books for like £300 just to get one line out of it. So <laughs> that's when Charlotte was like, this wasn't a good idea. But, you know, uh, over the time, I was like, look, did you know this? Did you know this? Did you know that? Did you know this? And she's like, I don't care. Um, <laughs> my wife, uh, she, she, she is an official death historian. Uh, Charlotte, uh, right. she's written books about grey fires and yeah. you know she's a published author she um she specializes in funeral practices and burial practices and you know uh, her dissertation was on you know funerals mm. <laughs> so she had a death historian but she's oh. not interested at all in the bridge so she was like look i don't care why don't you funny enough become a tour guide for me and you'll get paid to talk to people about this kind of stuff who want to be there because i don't care <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, I had so much information. So I I had to trial to, you know, become a tour guide. Yeah. It was uh yeah. I, I ended up, yeah, I was I was allegedly pretty good at it. Yeah. Until well, I lost it's, it's funny five people. But... Well we won't talk we'll skirt we'll bring, no, go over that. Yeah, we'll... that. Yeah. yeah, we won't talk about that one today. But it's funny, <laughs> you mentioned about being a research nerd. Oh, yes. I go to the archives in Chelmsford, where I live, when I'm researching to do with Essex. And I'll say, it'll go, I'll go on a Saturday. Uh, they once a month on a Saturday. And a husband will say, when will you be? Oh, it'll only be a couple of hours. I'll be home by midday. Yeah. Three o'clock, he phones me. What time are you coming home? And I'm like, oh, is that the time? And I honestly have sat there going down rabbit holes for five, wow. six hours. But you also mentioned about being a drummer. Yes. You got just drumsticks there, yeah. Absolutely. I play drums. Fantastic. Yeah, no, I was a drummer for many years. Uh, that's what I, I, I did. I was a drummer. Uh, I had one drum shop in Edinburgh as well. Uh, oh, after cool. I retired from playing drums, I opened my drum shop. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, I yeah, had shoulder injury. Um, it stopped me playing. Uh, 27 years I was playing. Wow. Um, I've still got a lock up full of drums. I'm, I'm only a, I only play like amateur sort of to de-stress and everything else. I don't think I'd ever be yeah, good enough to play in a band. Yeah. But, but I can do different things with both my feet and my hands if that makes sense i'm at that stage so Brilliant. i've got my little electric drum kit sat next to me so i can play it during Excellent. the day when i'm being they were a great invention I a lot of drummers hate electric drum even myself when i was younger a lot of oh you've got electric no don't be stupid but I, I like it to practice, practice on. on. Mm, I, I never use it live. Um, no. I, and I do love playing when I have lessons on a proper acoustic kit that I can yeah. bash seven shades of shit out of. But, oh, yeah. Well, that's my problem, yeah. But for getting the coordination, yeah, getting the coordination on the electric one to know where your hands are going to go and where to... Uh, uh, yeah, it's... it's, right. it's Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, I'll send you a couple of YouTube videos out of my past life as a drummer. Oh, I'd like that. I'd like that. Absolutely. Oh, this is a this is a major loving. See, not all people are bad, Jamie. <laughs> Absolutely. We're not all bad. And my joke no, is when, when I've had to do tours and things myself and I sort of collapse afterwards. And they're like, oh, but you're so bubbly. You're so this. And I too many people. Done too much people yeah. today. I need a break. I love what I yeah, do. Absolutely. I love it. But um, yeah, as you say, it too many it's tiring. It is tiring. Yeah. But talking about the research, obviously, you mentioned that Jan, Jan Andrews set the firm up in 1999. Now, what was that as a result? I know the answer to this, but what was that as a result of? Why did he set up City of the Dead Tours? And what was the link to Greyfriars? Well, at that time, uh, Jan lived on Candlemaker Road, which is the street that runs down outside the graveyard. So his house his flat um, backed on to the graveyard, uh, mm -hmm. basically down the sort of middle area of the graveyard. So Jan would spend a lot of time, you know, in his kind of back garden, if you wish. You know, he was there for, for many years, so he would be wandering around. Now, at that time, he got on quite friendly with the with the beadle of the church, um, and he'd often stop and chat to him in the grounds, you know, because they saw each other all the time. 
So they were chatting away one day, and the Beatle had turned around to Jan, and he'd said, I don't suppose you heard about the... And this this is back in 1998. Right. Uh, the end of 1998. So he was like, I don't suppose you heard about the, the poor unfortunate uh, guy who broke into the Mackenzie Mausoleum the other night, did you? Jan was like, no. He was like, what's this? <laughs> Seemingly, the Beatle said, look, well, you know, this uh, homeless guy who's trying to get shelter, he went into the, the tomb through the back, and he'd went downstairs to the, the burial chamber, and unbeknown to him, he'd fallen through a thin floor into the bodies below, mm-hmm. the third level below. So Jan was obviously like, it's a bit unfortunate, isn't it? What a shame. Yeah, well, I hope he's all right. <laughs> I'll teach him. You know, all very jolly. So they were having a laugh about it. And then next thing Jan knows is uh, he's walking around. Now, this is when the prison area used to be open. Right. Uh, to the public. So Jan used to wander about. And next thing he knows, there's about about two weeks later, there's a lot of kind of, there's media people, like with cameras and microphones. And they're, he's like, what's going on here? And that's when he started looking at the media and he's seen that people were starting to make you know, stories in the papers about people coming away from the prison area in Greyfriars with scratches. Uh, allegedly, there had been 11 ambulances called in the space of three months for people who'd been found unconscious around this one tomb within the Covenanters prison area. Right. Um, and people coming away and they'd been speaking to the press about scratches and, you know, people being punched and kicked when there's nobody there. Even in the middle of the afternoon, this wasn't a, a night-only thing, you know. It's, yeah. As you're more than aware, you know, a lot of things don't just happen because it's dark you know this was middle of the afternoon mm. so so jan thought this was quite interesting you know he's like well this is a bit so he started talking to people he thought this would make a great book people would love to read about this kind of thing mm. so he started speaking to people getting their accounts and talking and walking around and people in there just randomly asking them you know do you happen to believe in this kind of thing? Have you seen the news? You know, general questions. And that was all fine. Then, Edinburgh Evening News got involved. They decided to organise on their own behalf an exorcism to be done. Which is amazing because it's a Presbyterian graveyard and exorcisms are for Catholics, but not to worry. Don't let that get in the way of a, a good story. Of a good news story, yeah. Don't expect Edinburgh Alive to be worrying about things like research and things, probably. So <laughs> they organised a local person, uh, clairvoyant, to come out. Uh, what was his name? Colin Grant. Colin Grant. Edinburgh, very respect, highly respected medium, and I believe he was an exorcist. An exorcist. So they organised him. So they came out one evening, of course, in the dark, and he proceeded to conduct with, of course, all the media there, uh, an exorcism in Greyfriars and the Covenanters prison area, where the reports were coming from. Right. Not, as popular belief nowadays, from in front of the Mackenzie Mausoleum. It was never the Mackenzie Mausoleum. It was this mausoleum in the prison area. Right. Well, this was all done around there. Colin Grant, towards the end, he collapses um, in front of the cameras and says, I can't continue. It's too strong. I can never move this on my own. And that was it. He was carried out the graveyard and the media then calmed down and there was a few other reports coming through of people hovering scratches and bite marks. So that would be fine until I think it was six days later, Colin Grant is doing a private reading at his home uh, for a for a client of a, a reading of you know a card reading mm-hmm. tarot because he was a clairvoyant as well. And allegedly, according to the woman who was having it done, he kind of stopped. He looked up and he says, Greyfriars, there is no good news. There's just bad. And his heart stopped and he dropped dead right there and then. Um, So, of course, the media just went. We had media from all over the place coming into Greyfriars. They were there most of the day trampling over graves. Maybe they had the wrong kind of ghost hunting teams then starting to come in all times of the day. It was becoming an absolute circus. There was stones being damaged. There was, it was, you know, no, it was, respect. It was no, res- no respect whatsoever. No, yeah. no respect at all. Just for the one story, the one, you know, just hoping to speak to one person or hoping somebody would get somebody on film being attacked by whatever it was. Again, this thing had no name back then. It was 
just this strange happenings in Greyfriars, this this thing. So Jan arrives one day, a couple of days after the whole Colin Grant passing away. Um, he arrives next day, a couple of days later to find that the gates of the prison had been shut and locked. There was a big padlock on it. So he's like, "What's going on here? Has he, you know, is, is, is it worse? <laughs> What's going on?" So of course he wanted to know. He was writing a book, so he went to the, the owners of the graveyard, uh, who are Edinburgh City Council. Mm-hmm. Much to contrary belief, the graveyard is not public ground. It is not owned by the church. It is the City of Edinburgh Council who right. own it. Okay. They set the rules, they 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 manage it, and they own it. So he went to the council and said, right, well, I'm writing a book, and I'm, I'm sure you're all aware of what's the media is happening in the media. He was like, I'm, I'm just needing to speak to people that are in there, and if they felt anything for research for my mm-hmm. book, and I want to document this because I think it's really interesting. Yeah. And they said, no. And he was like, okay. So he had to think about it, and he thought, right, what's the best way? opinions and feelings and getting people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different everything. If they pay me to come, wait a minute, I can carry on my research if the council agree. Mm-hmm. So what Jan did, he went to the council with a bit of paper that said public liability insurance with mm-hmm. his name on it. He said, right, I've just got myself public liability insurance, which means if anything goes on, um, it's on my head. It's nothing to do with the council. What I want to do is I want to lease this area from you, the prison area in Greyfriars, for to take people in there to record in a controlled environment and document what this strange occurrence is yeah. for scientific and personal reasons. Yeah. He didn't lie to them. He was like, it's going to be for my book. So I want to rent this area. And we will also rent the old watch house that's falling apart the roof's coming in we'll also rent that from you so that'll be two incomes from us to you for somewhere that you're getting nothing for and of course the council went through the keys at them how many keys do you want cut how many yeah, absolutely do you want us to put flowers in for you, do you want... absolutely yeah. but that's basically how jan done it wow he and we've had the lease ever since we've got a great relationship with the city of edinburgh council uh, they are our landlords. Uh, they 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 own it. They own the ground, and we're fully aware they own the ground. And we are uh, we've got a great relationship with Raven Services, who own the ground, and of course the church. We've been there for you know twenty five years. Mm. We 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 got and it is kind of our backyard. So you know we we especially myself, I spent half my life in the graveyard. Um, but that's how it, that's how we started. That's how City of the Dead tours were founded. Oh. As Jan wanted to carry on, then he finished his book. And he called this whole haunting thing the Mackenzie poltergeist. The reason behind that is because he agrees the pivotal moment that we believe started this whole thing, that triggered this incident, started because of that homeless guy who broke into the Mackenzie mausoleum and he went through the floor, he pulled a coffin with him, the, com- the coffin got damaged. So that's what Jan believed started it triggered so it. he called it the Mackenzie. yeah triggered it mm. that was the trigger incident so he believed that there's no evidence for that it could purely be coincidence maybe things were happening in the prison long before that but mm. they maybe just weren't recorded we don't know but jan then called it the Mackenzie poltergeist possibly one of the worst things he could have done um because then of course public then will have you believe that it's george Mackenzie. when in fact it was called it after the mausoleum there's 11 Mackenzies in that mausoleum not so, just george so uh, that was actually going to be my next question is uh, who who of george's sorry there's just a noise in there something just fell over in the hall um <laughs> um which other mackenzies are george i mean george had two wives he lost quite a lot he of did. his children as well are they all in there yes. there is yes there's also cousins in there um his two wives are in there his daughter um is in there and his three sons are in there yeah it could be any one of them that got annoyed that they'd been in effect disrupted if that indeed was what triggered it indeed potentially Um, or maybe maybe the thing has been in there all the time because i I do believe i mean i certainly don't think for a second it is the the spirit of sir george mackenzie of rose hall lord advocate of scotland running about scratching people after his death 
you know. Um, We're going to come on to George. We are going to come on to George because we, we want to set the record straight. However, however, you have a real bugbear when it comes to two specific mausoleums, don't you? It really I do, I do. gets your goat. Explain. The floor is so, yours, Jamie. Excellent. So, first up, the Mackenzie Mausoleum in the main graveyard, the domed structure, the famous one that people see pictures of. The Mackenzie Mausoleum and the inverted commas Black Mausoleum. The Black Mausoleum is a totally different mausoleum. They are two totally separate mausoleums. The Black Mausoleum is within the Covenanters prison. Right. That is the mausoleum where people were being interacted with inside. Uh, like I said to you before we started recording, nobody has ever had access, especially not tour groups, to the Mackenzie Mausoleum. So how groups of people could be attacked inside the Mackenzie Mausoleum is utter garbage. Also, all, all these attacks that people talk about online, they've all come from us. They're all our original documentation because we are the only ones who have been documenting it. So they are twisting all these stories that have originally come from us and then people argue with us, us, about what the Black Mausoleum is and what's not. We know because we've been documenting it from day one. We've had the only access to the Black Mausoleum where the attacks happen, not the Mackenzie Mausoleum where no attacks have been recorded inside at all. But it was the Mackenzie one that the homeless guy broke yes. into, yeah. But the yes. Black Mausoleum is behind those gates for the Covenanters area. Yes. Okay. The Black Mausoleum is the Dundas family mausoleum. Right. It's not uh, it's the Robert Dundas of Fingask family. It's their mausoleum. There is no connection at all with the Mackenzies. Again, this whole thing in there, the Mackenzie poltergeist, as Jan called it, um, it may have nothing to do with the Mackenzie mausoleum. Like I said, it could purely be a coincidence. There has never been any evidence to say it's anything to do with that Mackenzie mausoleum. And we've never once said it's anything to do with George Mackenzie. That's all public speculation. Well, let's get because on. To, let's, let's get on to George because you and I yeah, have we have agreed on something when we were talking, and you're the first person I've ever spoken to who agreed with my intuition and what I thought about him. So, we're going back Absolutely. to the 17th century. Here, mm -hmm. um, we're going back to um, when Charles the First was still on the throne, only just, and the first, yeah, the first only just the first civil wars happened. Charles has lost. Um, Scotland had actually allied with the English parliamentarians the first time. Mm -hmm. I don't know, excuse me, because in a nutshell, you might be able to embellish this for me, but basically the Presbyterian Church of Scotland had been in dispute with James I, James VI, whichever way you want to look, yeah. and Charles I over the religion mm -hmm. and everything else. So first civil war, Scotland sided with the parliamentarians. Yeah. After that, Charles I surrendered to the Scottish government so that they would support him subsequently. Yeah, is that mm. kind of Pretty correct? much, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. So after he was executed in 1651, the Scots made Charles II King of Scotland. Obviously, he wasn't going to become King yep. of England for another nine years, but he was the King of Scotland first because they, yeah. they sided with him. And then in 1660, when he became King of England as well, he reneged on the deal he'd made with Scotland to help protect the Presbyterian Church. Yeah. Is that pretty much correct? Pretty much, yeah, because you had, obviously, with Henry doing the whole Anglican side and, you know, being the head of the church. So what it came down to is, the basically, Charles II especially, you know, they, they had the divine right of power. And that's what it came down to. Although Henry had done it from a personal point of view, he just, you know, for a legal and marriage kind of thing. Uh, Charles II did see it as his God-given right, mm. the uh, divine right of power. He wanted to basically anglicise uh, the Scottish church. Um, not by too much, but he just wanted him to be seen above God in mm. our eyes. You know, there was the people, God, the king. 
And he thought, well, why not? You know, it's my land. I control this. I, you know, I am in charge. So we said, oh, no, <laughs> we don't care what Henry's done. We don't want your new prayer books. You know, the changing of the words and the our godly saviour, our king, our kingly saviour. You know, it was little words that were getting changed. And of course, the introduction of bishops into our church, that was a no-no. So we, yeah, we weren't having none of that stuff. We were like, look, do what you want, you you know, do what you want, but leave, you leave our religion alone. Mm. That was basically what the national covenant was. It was an it was a it was a petition of the 1600s. And mm. um, you know, the the parchment paper would be signed by people, and basically, in short, it was like, God save the king. We will not take up arms against the king. Yeah, but you leave our religion alone. You take your bishops. You take your prayer books. Do whatever you want with them, but you leave our religion alone. We are not going to be changing our views you are not higher than god that's the end of it which didn't go down but, too well no because it just turned him even worse i mean he was a stuart king so you know he was paranoid anyway um you know let, let's face it the, the, the stuart dynasty was not well, a spectacularly lucky you know uh dynasty at all so yeah quite rightly charles ii was paranoid but yeah he actually put it in as uh, you were either with him or against him that yeah. was it there was no middle ground and again, it's the 1600s. We can never understand what that possibly meant. Um, all some people had back then was religion. That was it. That was mm -hmm. their life. That was religion. Was everything. They were yeah. ready to die for their religion mm -hmm. because that was what it meant to them. Mm -hmm. And people did. People did. Yep. Biggest killer in the world known to man is religion. Well, I ironically, it's not quite the same, but I did the um, immersive Guy Fawkes experience, uh, immersive gunpowder experience this weekend. Wow at the Tower of London and anyone who's thinking of going on it if you're in London and you've got the spare cash honestly it's superb so fantastic. it's I mean it's it's they're, they're taking a bit of liberty with some of the history they've made it a bit like they've created female characters that were male that and is. all of that to make it more PC um but it is the actors are completely interactive um I'm very proud to say one of them called me a troublemaker excellent I'm, I'm quite pleased with that I'm quite pleased um, I gave them the wrong vault number for where the gunpowder was, um, and said I'd that's stick by cool, that. It's interactive, so it's uh, that's yeah, that's it's just completely dungeon experience, but no, it's it's completely into you're you're in you're it's almost like you're 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 in the, and it. and then there's bits where you have to put VR units on, and wow. you do. I at times I was you, you're on this almost like um um. Not abseiling, but rope descent. <laughs> and honestly, I was holding the ropes. No, you could, and you'd like, oh, whoa, because oh, it's, it's really good. But like I say, one of the That's actors called me a troublemaker. But the, the point was, obviously, that were Catholic, those were Catholics willing to yeah. die to protect other Catholics by blowing up yeah. James the First. And, <laughs> and, you know, whereas... I, I personally don't get that adherence to a religion that like I'd want to kill myself to protect it. No. But it's a similar principle. And again, it's yeah. the Stuarts, again, causing the trouble. There you go. Absolutely. Um, but it's 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 that kind of such strong belief. But then again, in a similar way to what we're going to be talking about with the Covenanters, you had the, the king's men going out killing every Catholic they could find or imprisoning them and then yeah. subsequently killing them. And it's all due to religion. It's, you know, you, and, and it's exactly the same thing thing here because wasn't it there was um there was a is it the battle of i can't say it bothell yeah battle um, of bothell break and didn't they arrest around now there's a couple of myths around this as well that if mm. you look if you look on some of the website pages they'll say they arrested over 1200 people man woman and child yeah no that's not actually true is it no it's not it was a battlefield they came from so no uh, there was no women and children on the battlefield uh, I mean, I'm not saying there wasn't women and children caught up in the whole mm. uh, and movement. Of course, there might have been. But again, that had nothing to do with the battlefield. You know, there was a battlefield. They, they weren't running about. You didn't get as much as some TV shows like to show you, you know, women crying over loved ones. They, they were far, far, far away from battlefields, mm. yeah, especially children. Mm. So, so those, those men were eventually yeah. brought to the Covenanters prison in Greyfriars, because yes. that was the only space big enough to it hold was. them. Now, I'm t I'm going to say this deliberately, and I know it's not true, but I'm going to say it because I'm going to take a picture screenshot of your face when I say this. 
obviously George McKenzie was there waiting for them to torture them all, wasn't he? Oh, of course he was. Of course, yeah. He had his little booth just at the side of his little ticket machine. He was <laughs> oh, absolutely. He was picking them out in line. You know, he was absolutely Jesus. Uh, let me quantify this. Obviously, George McKenzie, they, they always say the poltergeist of George McKenzie, the McKenzie poltergeist is George McKenzie, who was the Lord Advocate, basically second in command to the king back then. Um, and he is the one who's blamed for all these covenanters dying and being executed and everything else. Now, what Jamie and I realised when we were talking is that we both agree that it's not fair to put all that blame on him and that actually he probably wasn't the murderous bloody Mackenzie little shit that history paints him to be. No. One of the things that stunned me when, I mean, the fact he was, he was a lawyer, but as simple as that, he was a lawyer. He studied law. Law was his baby for want of a better mm. term. And he can't have been that bloody because during the witch trials of Scotland, and that, I mean, I know quite a bit about witch, witch trials. The Scottish witch trials were bloody. I mean, you didn't you didn't hang your witches, did you? You burnt them. Yeah, um, burnt them. Burnt them. I mean, we only burnt them. Well, if amongst they, if they all did... things, I mean, burning was uh, quite a good one. Um, you know, because it could be. I mean, it did unfortunately get to a point where you would have family members putting gunpowder again with the covenanters. Mm. There was a lot of covenanters and martyrs were burned. Heretics um, and stuff. Mm. Heretics, absolutely. Uh, burning was quite. But you would have family members if you get hold of gunpowder, they would put them in the sleeves mm. of their of their dresses, or they would put them somewhere. So of course, when the gunpowder heated up, it would just explode. Mm. And, you know, like and kill them a lot quicker than the burning. Um, but witches, witches in Scotland tended to be strangled first. Mm. Uh, that was down to James. Uh, what was James the fifth? Was it James the fifth? Was it? Was it James the fourth? James, the, the, James, James, James the first wrote demonology. Yeah, because it didn't last long. That's why you get confused with the dates and what James was what. Because you know, they either blown themselves up by a cannon or getting you know assassinated by a priest. Um, but because they thought they could even on the pyre when they were burning, they could still cuss. Yeah. still send curses out to them so a lot of witches would be strangled first or even left almost dead mm. kind of comatose mm. so they couldn't curse yeah. while they were burning um, so that in retrospect is could have possibly been a good thing that they weren't actually you know, burnt alive which, but yeah that that was quite a common one for witches mm. here yeah, yeah. I mean it's, it's one of the ones I have to correct people in England when they say oh they burnt the witches no actually we didn't the only witches we burnt were witches who use witchcraft to kill their husband or were perceived yeah. to because that's classed as treason and yes you yeah. could be burnt at the stake as a woman for treason but that's by the by the point was george mckenzie actually defended a witch mm -hmm. in a trial which isn't if you pardon the pun which you, isn't isn't common there's not many no, cases of witches being defended pardon you could he could have lost his life yeah he, because he was defending a witch, it could have been said if if the if the other party was quick enough or even not afraid to speak up to George. I mean, he, he wasn't a Sir George at this point. This is quite an early point in his career. Mm -hmm. He could have been seen to be in league with the devil that yeah. he's been possessed, and he's a witch himself. So hmm. he he really put his life on the yeah. line at that point and yeah. his career. Yeah, and yeah. It, it worked because yeah. that was what then led to the the the, the, the abolition of. Which Charles in Scotland? Yeah, but that was so, the other thing that he didn't. He he. I think he said, although he did believe witches could exist, he didn't think there were. And I'm paraphrasing here. He didn't think there were as yeah. many as people think. And he no. thought a lot of them were confused old women who'd had torture, which he didn't agree with, used to elicit false confessions. And, and again, and I, yeah, this is yeah. So and this is written down. This is real yeah, documented. documented right yeah. Well, of course, these people that are saying that he went in the prison and he was obviously torturing the people. He was against, and this is legal. Mm. But again, somebody will always argue, well, that's just what they said, didn't they? Just to cover it up. Of course. Because they covered lots of things up but, in the 1690s, didn't they? Well, yeah. But even, <laughs> I mean, it was, I think it was the Rye House plot to overthrow Charles II and his brother yeah. James. Um, yeah. He didn't want to condone the use of torture against the main protagonist to get them to admit it. But he had, he's, he's basically, I didn't have a choice. So this whole thing that um, he he hated the Covenanters and everything else, didn't he actually represent some Covenanters in his career to to, to protect them? Uh, absolutely. Later on, uh, once obviously Presbyterian came in, there was still a few Covenanters held in 
mm-hmm. either dungeons just left there to rot or indeed wait awaiting trial. He did. He uh, he went round and he had them all released because mm-hmm. it was no longer illegal. Or against, because obviously Charles II had obviously fallen. So, you know, um, there was no law keeping them there now. Mm. So, and then obviously Presbyterian then became what we now have in Scotland anyway. Mm -hmm. It's it's mainly obviously religion. So there was no legal hold. So he did. He went around and he made sure they were all released. So this whole, you know, Mm. I just, but again, anybody that tells you different how murderous he was, how he was a misogynist, how he was a, a, a torturer and a bad, evil man. They've done absolutely no research into the man at all. They've I hate to say read... he was doing his job. He was doing what if uh, yeah. if he hadn't followed the king's orders, he would have mm. been executed himself. Absolutely. And, and and if you've had it drummed into you that these people, you know, he 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 didn't he didn't like the fuse on on no. the faggots the the sticks that that were bundled around them mm. if they were burnt at the stake or whatever. He no. he just happened to be in charge of the legal department who had the ultimate sign off, and I I I've, I've I think that the closest analogy I can think of is say if you're in America and someone's being done for murder and the jury finds them guilty, the judge has to pass the applicable sentence, whether they feel they're guilty or not. Yeah. The judge the judge can't say, well, actually, no, I'm going to override your decision completely. Exactly. No, um, there's no it, such thing as appeals in that back Exactly. Then. Well, that's what I was going to say. The only way you could do it is then yeah. take it to appeal where an appeals judge could override well, the jury. But, but Had to find... But basically, he, because they'd been found guilty in a court of law, George Mackenzie had to pass sentence. Yeah. The sentence was hung, drawn and quartered. That was standard for treason. Mm-hmm. It wasn't torture. Well, it, it kind of was torture, but that was a standard punishment. It wasn't a case of you had a choice. Well, what, what am I going to do? Oh, mm-hmm. should we have fun with a knife? Should we have fun with a... Oh, how about the ropes? No. How about the rack? No. I'd tell you what, we'll just hang for you. Yeah, we'll hang for you. What, what? Yeah, okay. Of course not. That was a standard punishment. If he'd shown leniency, or his personal opinions could never come into it because, mm. by law, he had to pass sentence because they'd been found guilty. That was it. He didn't find them guilty. He just had to pass the sentence. Weren't some of them transported as well? Isn't they were. That one, yeah, is that um, one of the big hoo has that their boat sank? Yeah. The 1,200 men were marched. Again, I forgot to mention this. Which blows everything out of the water about when some people tell stand and tell you that George Mackenzie was coming into the prison area and torturing them every day. You know, he was pulling a four-hour shift, uh, seven on a Tuesday because he had a free afternoon. You know, he was coming in and just, you know, cutting their heads off and cutting their arms off, cutting, pulling their teeth out with pliers. And how they got pliers in the 1600s, I don't know, but, you know, and screwdrivers, I've heard it all. How you would be doing that? The main point is that the men, after they were brought from Bothwell Brig, they were held outside Edinburgh for three days. The land that was the Covenanters prison, which, funnily enough, is where the workhouse was built, that was after it was sold off. Okay. The workhouse at the back of the, the prison area. That whole area behind the Mackenzie Mausoleum, where that is now, it was a massive field. It was about the size of two football pitches. It was right. an empty field, bordered in by the Flodden Wall. It hadn't been used for burials, but it was going to be because we needed the area. Mm-hmm. However, it was just pure by luck that it hadn't been. However, they still had to get the legal framework and the legal paperwork signed uh, to allow it to be used for four months as a makeshift prison. So they had to override the church because obviously the church were like, well, 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 you're not coming up the ground and keeping men in horrendous conditions on our ground. Forget it. Mm-hmm. There's only one man that could sign that paperwork because he was in charge of the legal system in Scotland. Mm. He could override any law. And that was indeed Sir George Mackenzie. Yeah. The reason they were held for three days is because they had to wait on the paperwork coming back from London. George Mackenzie wasn't even in Edinburgh when the prisoners were held. And this is documented because of his letters from mm. London during the days. Yeah. He wasn't even in Scotland. He signed the paperwork to allow the area to be used as a makeshift prison for four months. That was it. That was his only connection. So he why, never visited the prison. Why, why are all these stories made up about him then? Why? Why is he known as Bloody history. Mackenzie and everything else? If if you and I have quite simply in the last what forty five minutes argued mm-hmm. the case that 
he was just doing his job. He probably didn't, he didn't make the decisions. But could he have changed the law saying that covenanters were heretics and treason and everything else? Or would there have been a reason why he didn't do that? Because he couldn't. Because it was the king that decided that they were treasonous. He can't override the king. Right. The king, at the end of the day, he's in charge of the country. Although he saw himself bigger than God, at the end of the day, he is still, although George Mackenzie's in charge of the legal system, the king could still override George Mackenzie because it's, it's the king. Even with the changes to parliament that Charles II made when he came in? People weren't going to argue with Charles, though, because he's already shown himself that he would just dispose of anybody who was in his way. You know, um, he didn't care. He just... He just wanted the more glory and make himself so secure that they couldn't assassinate him. Which, you know, it's to be in that situation and that that day in in the court around in that time. It was a very volatile time, anyway. Mm. I mean, obviously, we were constantly he was constantly under threat. A highly, highly paranoid king. Mm. Uh, after what happened to obviously Charles the First as well, you know, it, it just showed you nobody, nobody was safe. So to even attempt, as soon as you try to answer or even change anything, even if you didn't agree with the king's orders, if you tried to change anything about that, you were against him. That was it. There was no, well, but why would you do that, my friend? You've been friends, you've been my loyal mm. you know, servant for, for how many years? Why why, why do you feel like this? Don't, no, no, you're, like, you're against me. Get rid. Next. You know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, George... End of the day, he could go, but once the king and the parliament are on one side, George would be a singular person as highly regarded and as highly admired as he was. A highly intelligent man as well. And he'd played the right cards up until that point in his career. And this was towards the end of his career anyway. You know, he passed away in 1691. Mm. So, you know, 1679 is, you know, is not that far. In the grand scheme of things, over what fifty years of killing that had just been happening, you know, he'd he'd played the right cards throughout that period. And so, then... so do you think then? Now, you and I, you and I have argued for George's case that he's yep. he's maligned unfairly, but most ninety percent of people don't. Ninety percent of people, bloody Mackenzie, murderer, torturer, hater of anyone who wasn't him, yep. basically. Do you think the attacks that take place on people at the graveyard, I'll say at the graveyard in general, yeah. could be George trying to get people to sit up and take notice and like, actually, I'm not who you painted me to be? No. You don't? <laughs> no. no, not at all. Um, I do have reasons. Yeah, I have got reasons behind that. that yeah, I can go on. Yeah. I'll talk to you later about that side of it. Yeah, no, okay. um, no, I, I don't. I've, I've never thought for a second it's anything to do with George. I mean, George McKenzie really. I can't say he didn't. He could be bothered with people, but he spent his entire legal time. When George passed away, I think he wanted a quiet life. To be honest with you, I don't think right. he's come back from. The, I don't think he's come back from the, the dead and pissed off about anything. To be honest, I think uh. he's quite happily just having a quiet time away from the turmoil. He had fifty years of, you know, court life and one of the most turmoil times in Scottish history mm. you know 50 years of killing people for absolutely nothing mm. and he was at the forefront of it and again yeah following the laws of the time that you know he had to uh, adulterate or change to suit the king as and when needed but that's again why the end when it was all over and Charles II wasn't before, that's the first thing he did is he went around and made sure all the covenanters were released from their holding areas or you know whenever they were being held um, mm. he, he made sure they were all released so you know, this heartless, heartless beast of a man. Um, why would he do that? Why would he abolish witch trials in Scotland? Why would he, you know, mm -hmm. donate an entire library to the people of Edinburgh? Why would he? George Mackenzie's done a lot more good things in his life than the bad. But in a story, there always has to be a baddie. And unfortunately, being him, and when he got the, you know, the, the, the notorious nickname of Bloody Mackenzie, in the 1700s, thanks to the romanticism novels of the Walter Scott and things like that, and the Robert Ferguson's, and you know, they, they all had to have a, a baddie against the good. And of course, being Lord yeah. Advocate, the country during a turmoil, a huge, really bad time in Scottish history. Mm. 
But he does. Unfortunately, he gets the rap for it when indeed, you know, he wasn't the one going out killing people. He wasn't the one. He was in office. He, like I said, he just found, he passed sentence on people who had been found guilty in a court of law mm. as per the law required, mm. as his job required. Mm. His personal feelings weren't allowed to come into it. No, but well, they can't. His personal feelings certainly did come into it. And that shows you what kind of person he actually was. Mm. No, I... But, I'm 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 a hundred percent with you on it because I've thought that for years. Uh, I thought it was unfair yeah. that he was painted as what he was. I mean, you know, I was looking at some of the other cases, the Covenanters, and things like the Wigtown Martyrs were far more, in my view, yeah. they they women and people tied to stakes and drowned. Sure. And I mean, that that wasn't that wasn't George who orchestrated no. that. So, yeah. and nobody ever mentions them. I mean, I I do. I do think, yeah, I I think it's some, it's some, but things always get blamed on one person, and it's normally the person who's deemed in charge that gets yeah, blamed for it, whether whether they can help, you know, they've got any choice in the matter or not. Just like and, football, and like, and, football, like football, and well, and like you say, we put twenty twenty three sensibilities onto things that happened four hundred years ago. Um, and you know, I, I when I was in London on Saturday, um, we got caught up in the middle of the Free Palestine march, twenty odd thousand people, and yeah. yeah, it was quite intimidating being caught up mm. in that. Um, and I had to keep my mouth shut, um, which is hard. And so you imagine but, the mass hysteria back then, yeah, absolutely. I mean, but, but that, and back then when you would be lynched easily. Yeah. And... But thinking they were allowed to do that, that wouldn't have happened four hundred years ago. They wouldn't no, have been allowed, you know, and and that's what my friend and I were actually saying that, you know, whether I agree with what they were saying or disagree is irrelevant. Oh. We're, a, we're a place that you can do that. You can have, you can you can have an opinion, and yes. protect Without your being opinion held for high treason. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's what people forget about the sixty, even like even the Victorian era. You know, oh. people forget that you had the wrong opinion, you were dead. Mm -hmm. Especially when you're in that level of, you know, Sir George Mackenzie of Rose Hall. He was a knight. You know, he was Sir George. He was Lord Advocate. Mm -hmm. People looked up to him. He was, like I said, he was a highly intelligent man. And but it didn't matter if he was seen as against the king. He was dead. Mm -hmm. He was as simple as that. Mm -hmm. There was no love and lost in, in, in court in those days. Mm -hmm. You know, it was he would be replaced for somebody who did agree with the king. Yeah, simple as that. A yes man. Yep, indeed. Well, I mean, I think I think we fought George's case a bit here. Hopefully go people it. will go away and think about it rather than assuming. Yeah. But if, if it's not George who's attacking people, and I did see on your uh the city um the the city's web your city website mm. uh Facebook page, you put the, the activities ramping up again. Yeah. yeah. Who is it? What is it? What it could be it? numerous things. Yeah, it could. I mean, we've never. I'd, I'd, could it be a pissed um, off Covenanter doing it? Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, well, yeah, getting back to the Covenanters, I mean, 1,200 men, I think over 800 of them succumbed to their injuries. Obviously, they were, bar they were, they were marched from a battlefield. Yeah. So a lot of them succumbed to their injuries, and they weren't all, you know, none of them were, were murdered in the prison area. But they were held there with no shelter in horrendous conditions. There's no two ways about it. It was the world's first concentration camp. Mm -hmm. You know, no shelter at all. They were treated ridiculously. There was a lot of... I mean, when you say torture, it wasn't physical torture that was going on. And this is recorded as well. It was mental torture. Mm -hmm. um, the thing, some people do mention it, some don't. They were forced to lie face down in the harsh winter in the mud of this field. In a Scottish winter. In a Scottish winter with no shelter, and if there was any communication going on between them, you know, the, the guards were on the other side of the walls on scaffold uh, built up at the walls so they could see into the prison. Right. They would have the muskets, and if there was any communication or looked like communication was going on, the person on their right would be shot at. Whether they got hit by the muskets or not, whether the guards done it on purpose, but that was mental torture. Oh, yeah. Because the thought of having somebody injured next to you are dying because of you or something you've done. For a Presbyterian, obviously, then that is the gravest of, I don't want to use the Catholicism over it, it's sin, but, you know, then you couldn't, you know, that that's that's 
Just mm. a no-no. So that was the mental torture. What people don't understand again in this world, when you know I'm talking about them, and these guys, these Covenanters could have left that prison at any time. The gate was always open for them. Really? If they acknowledge, yeah. If they acknowledge the king as the head of the church and swore never to take up arms against the king ever again, they could walk out of that prison. Why didn't they just lie? Exactly. That's what I get all the time when they just lie. Because again, like you were just saying, we cannot look at it through today's eyes mm-hmm. in a situation in the 1600s. These people had been marched from a battlefield. These people were already willing to die for their religion and their beliefs. Mm-hmm. They were not about to turn around and lie to get out of a situation that they themselves were fighting for. That we, is a cop-out. That's not, you know. Do we, do we know if any of them did? Like, even just one? Do we know? There is a belief um, contemporary reports um, see the documentation really we've got to go on for that time is in the archives it's all about really the main one is the deliveries they were taken uh, fresh well I wouldn't say fresh it came from the Norlock it was water they were taken water um, they were taken uh, half penny loaves as well mm-hmm. usually stale but watching the amounts that were being taken according to the city archive and the city expenditure you know you can see how many were delivered. Kind of like the same idea when we researching the plague in Edinburgh, Mary King's Close, for instance. That's all in the city archives mm-hmm. of the expenditures for that year on how many, you know, how much was taken to that one close. And it's all written out. So mm-hmm. that tells you watching the dwindling numbers, they weren't needing as much. So it gives yeah. you a good idea of number-wise. Um, <laughs> whether they passed, I mean, there was no records kept of, you know, names of people who were, who died right. all all they cared was that were came from a battlefield they were fighting against the the king so who cares who they are they're just right. people so i i don't know it's hard to say it's hard to say I, I, I don't want to assume that maybe maybe you know a couple did but again in that mindset they were already willing to die mm. they're not about to turn around because in the eyes of god god would see them lying Mm. To just to get out of that, and that's not what they were about. They were there to prove that nobody was higher than God. They were there to die for that fact. So to turn around and lie to the guard just to get out of somewhere, nah. Um, but that was why they were doing it. They were mentally breaking them down, so it was a form of torture. Mm. But they weren't going in with ropes and tying them up and half strangling them and cutting their fingers off or pulling thumb, their teeth thumb, out. thumb screws and the rack and yeah, no. A lot of them, like I said, they, come, they were weary. They were living outside in a Scottish winter. They didn't need to torture them. That was torture. The cold wind. You know, the, the frostbite. But, you know, the snow, the coldness, the, the freezing, they're becoming ill. Be, they're, they're slowly dying. So yeah. they didn't need to torture them. That was the torture. So what time of year was it exactly that the, they were held in the prison? August to August, October, November. Yeah, it was August to just uh, sort of start to middle of December. Right, okay. So, held so it was really in the throes of winter, just past, you know, oh. coming in. I mean, looking at it today, we, we've had to cancel the, the nine o'clock tours this evening because the weather's coming in like hard rain and right. the temperature dropped around about November time. Is I thought really... you Scots were meant to be hard. Well, yeah, sometimes. I think we've become too soft with the weather. <laughs> it's bloody colder. <laughs> just rad. There's no such thing as bad weather. There's the wrong clothes. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's a wee bit windy. It's a bit blustery. Although it seems to have quietened down. Maybe I jumped the gun a little, gun a little bit by cancelling the tour tonight. <laughs> I can't so, the so, we've we've assessed that George Mackenzie wasn't the sadistic arsehole he's portrayed to be yeah. by un, unresearched uh, sort of internet articles. We have assessed that the Black Mausoleum is completely different to the Mackenzie mm-hmm. Mausoleum and that the, the Mackenzie one can't be accessed anyway. You can't get into it. And the Black the Black Mausoleum you can only get into if you've got a key for the Covenanters prison. Yes. Do you have your key to the Covenanters handy? Yeah, I've got it all the time. It's on my ceiling. Yeah. Show, show us the key. Oh, it's downstairs in my front. Oh. <laughs> Is it a big posh Victorian key? Is it a big nice Victorian key, mm-hmm. or is it? No, it's, it's a padlock key. Oh. It's a padlock key. I was hoping um, it was going to be a big chunky iron Victorian type key. 
Uh, I don't. Uh, hold on, no, I do have. I don't know where the key's gone though. I do have a cool old padlock. Oh, old. that's nice. Oh, I like that. When does that but, date? Um, when's that date back to? Yeah, about 2022. It's a reproduction. Is it? Yeah. 2021, I think. It was on my old shed outside. That's why it's rusted. I don't know where the key is. The key is somewhere. But it's got a like, nice old key. But no, the prison key's not a Victorian one. It's, it's, a, it's a padlock. It's a pencil issue padlock. Ah, oh, that's a shame. That's a shame. Yeah. But but we've assessed <laughs> that those people who say, you know, you can't get to the Black Mausoleum unless you go in the Covenant's prison. You guys are the only ones that get to go in the Covenant's prison. Okay. So anyone who says they've gone in there, they've either broken in or they're lying out their backsides. Absolutely. Yep, the only way yeah. is uh, we lease that area, so yeah, um, that is our area, and that's how we can do controlled um, uh, documentation because it is a controlled situation. Yeah, you know, you can't have a lot of outside influences in that area mm -hmm. because that is the epicenter of this entire haunting. Mm -hmm. um, do I think it's a poltergeist? No, I don't think it's a poltergeist. No. Um, again, Jan had to call it something for the book. Um, yeah. And that's why he came up with the name, the Mackenzie Poltergeist, after the mausoleum. And because at that time, it, it still does, because it can scratch, it can bite, it can, it can interact. Yeah. Um, but it's not a poltergeist, I believe, and one, it doesn't have an epicenter. And poltergeists are normally attached to a specific person or something mm -hmm. else, which this one obviously isn't because no. it's doing it to lots of different people. So, yeah, but, yeah. well, that I, I mean, I've learned a lot chatting to you, Jamie. So I appreciate that because I am a nerd and I, I like to learn more. And it's also nice to talk to somebody who actually I, I kind of have sussed something out that not I'm being not being laughed at for the observations I've no. made. Um, never be laughed at telling the truth. Absolutely. Or even having an opinion, as long as you listen to other people's yeah. opinions, as far as I'm concerned. How Absolutely. do people get on one of your tours? Uh, they can book through the website, uh, cityofthedeadtours.com. Um, obviously, we're on Instagram and Googly Facebook and things like all social media things. And yep. Where all the bad places where all the stories are coming from. <laughs> but basically, yeah, the way, the way we look at it, and we, um, a lot of people do contact us after the tour, believing. Uh, threatening legal advice because they thought that we're going into the black mausoleum uh, when they just walked past it. Um, you know, it's any information from any other company apart from City of the Dead Tours, the ones who brought the Mackenzie Bullard guys to the to the world. Yeah. Um, is second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh hand information. If it's not come directly from us, which most of it has originally, but yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of falseness about this stuff. Cool. is there is something in that Colbert prison that's not human and it does like it to interact with people okay well you heard it here guys so if you're up in Edinburgh make sure you contact City of the Dead Tours to go on, on well an exclusive tour that no other tour group in Edinburgh can do um, and you've heard the, I mean what you've heard Jamie talking about on this episode was a smidge of some of the stuff we were talking about beforehand so he he is he is I have to say he is a fellow research nerd and it's always a pleasure to meet a fellow research nerd. Um, on that note, thank you ever so much for your time, Jamie. I've, I no say problem. I've really appreciated it. Do go out and check out all the city of the dead tours stuff. Um, I don't know who my next guest, well, actually I do know who my next guest will be in about a month's time, but I'm going to leave that one for you guys to find out. Uh, thank you ever so much for listening and I will see you soon. Have a good evening, sleep tight, and don't worry too much about things that go bump in the night.